Boom. I hope my message can live up to the video. <laughs> so, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come before you into your presence through worship, uh, through songs of celebrating your love and, and through prayer. We can also approach you through your word. And Lord, I pray just that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have to communicate uh, to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, it says, I'm beginning a new series on Is It Relative? Uh, living morally in an amoral world. And beginning this week, over the next two weeks, going to delve into the idea of relativism and what is a biblical response. This week, really just giving an introduction and talking more about relativism than a response to it, uh, but it lays the groundwork from which we will uh, uh, look at it over the next couple of weeks. As the video portrayed in, in John 14:6, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, speaking to someone who is talking to him, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is a very powerful statement, and it's uh, something every a verse that every Christian should be familiar with. It's this idea that Jesus communicated that He is the way, He is the truth, uh, He is the life. Of course, just using those terms uh, brings up some questions. <clears throat> what about people who don't believe in truth? And for Jesus to say He's the truth, but if someone doesn't believe in truth, what does that statement even mean? And in fact, we see this in Jesus' life, later in His life after He was arrested uh, and falsely accused and tried. And during the, during the conviction process, he appeared before Pilate, who would be the equivalent of a, a, a governor, for example, a Roman ruler. And in his conversation with Pilate, I won't read the whole story, it's in John 18, uh, in verse 38 though, uh, he's talking with Pilate and Jesus mentions truth. And Pilate's response to him is, what is truth? And Pilate didn't respond like, what is truth? In a, in a heartfelt question, Jesus mentions truth and he, and he says, what is truth? And he literally turned and, and walked out of the room. Uh, and so this question, what is truth? Pilate had given up on the idea of, of finding the answer. And many people in our day have given up. In fact... Relativism is one way in which people justify, if you will, or accommodate the giving up of finding out what is truth. So we want to want to investigate this. Um, uh, you know, I don't think there's any question that the world today has more information at hand than ever before. You know, not only the fact that we have the internet and access to information, but there genuinely is more information. We know more as a the human race collectively than ever. Uh, the, the amount of studies is, and it's expanding. I've read articles about how the quantity of of known knowledge is increasing exponentially. Because as we make new discoveries, it leads to new discoveries, and it's, it's almost uncontainable. And so even though we have more information than we've ever had before, 
It hasn't gotten us any closer to knowing truth. We know lots of information, but most of the world actually proclaims that you can't know truth or that truth is relative. Truth, truth is differs between one person and another. I'll, I'll get into what that means. So, uh, uh, there's different types of relativism. What I'm going to be talking about is truth relativism and moral relativism. So, uh, uh, truth relativism and moral relativism. <clears throat> and the questions are, is there objective truth? Is it true to say Jesus is the only way to have eternal life? Or are there as many ways to truth as there are people? Is there, is there an objective truth? Or is all truth relative to the individual or relative to the culture? Is there objective morality? Is it valid to say that there are absolute standards of right and wrong? Or is right and wrong determined by society and the individual? Because so those are the two big questions. And the purpose of this series is that I see two major challenges. One is that Christians, believers, and of course, you know, I'm talking to you as, as believers. This is church. Maybe you didn't know that. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> if I was addressing a group of people that were non-church or secularist, uh, I, would, I would discuss the, some of the issues differently, but I'd be making the same points. Um, as Christians, we struggle to live right. You don't have to raise your hand, but I think just about all of us struggle to live in the way that even we are convinced that the Bible calls us to live. And so there's a personal struggle to live right. And the second challenge is that there's an incredible difficulty in answering our culture that says everything's right. So we have the difficulty of living according to the standards that we confess we believe in. And we have the difficulty of answering those who believe that there are no rights and wrongs. There are no absolutes in the world. And uh, if, if you've talked to people in the world, you'll encounter uh, many people uh, that uh, have a relativistic worldview. These two point, these two challenges, living right and answering right, are directly connected. Right? They're not separate issues. They're really the same issue, they're, or they're integrated issues. We will never be able to answer those around us who claim there is no rights or wrongs if we are not able to live a life that demonstrates a belief in right and wrong. We will never be able to answer those around us who claim there is no right and wrong, or right and wrong is completely relative, if we're not able to live a life that demonstrates our belief that there are right and there is a wrong. Another way to say this, or actually the way this has been revealed just within the last couple of weeks, I heard a, an advocate of gay marriage, and I'm not addressing the issue of gay marriage, I'm just using this as an example. But an advocate of gay marriage said, Christians can't deny us marriage until they deny themselves divorce. Since they say it's about the sanctity of marriage. 
Mm. How do you answer that? The divorce rate among evangelical Christians is the same as that in the world. Now, I don't think that that his statement is true. I think it's an oversimplification because there are legitimate times where divorce is necessary. And I don't think it really addresses the issue of redefining the meaning of marriage, which is the real issue at at hand. But you have to admit, he's got a point. (laughs) And the point is very true. If our lifestyles don't demonstrate the purity we claim to believe in, you don't have the authority to speak on it. Or, how do you answer a person who says it's okay to have sex outside of marriage, how are you going to answer that if you had or are having sexual relationships outside of marriage? How are you going to answer? Or if you laugh at it when it's portrayed on a TV sitcom? <laughs> or the movie that you say you love was filled with fornication? And you go around talking about how great the movie was. And it portrayed a lifestyle that was completely contradictory to everything Jesus Christ represents. Or if you listen to music and rave about your favorite artists that represent something that is not only contradictory, but maybe offensive to the person of Jesus Christ and the standards of the Bible. How do you answer someone when they say there is no right and wrong if your life is filled with stuff that actually agree with them. And so it's important that our <clears throat> our lifestyle match our beliefs. And if they don't, we don't have any authority to speak to those people who believe wrongfully. Likewise, our struggle to live a pure life is actually significantly influenced by our culture. Listen, I understand how difficult it is to live right. The things of the world and the, and the ideology, the belief system in our world significantly affects us. And so our struggle to live right is hugely connected to living in a world that doesn't believe in right and wrong. Okay? And the um, advertising and media, the Internet... Uh, and all these different things bombard us with images and ideas and uh, opinions constantly. Listen, every image has an idea behind it. They spend millions and millions of dollars crafting 20-second commercials to communicate an idea. And it's, it's gone way beyond just selling a product. I mean, ultimately, that's what they're... But people that are in advertising, they, they sell a product by selling an idea. And they spend a lot of money to choose the right images and the right sound and the right timing. And they, they, know, they know you better than you know yourself. They really do. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's not wise to uh, be unaware of the influence of those things having in your life. Listen, we're not swimming upstream in our society. That's not an appropriate analogy. We're standing against an avalanche. All right? In our society, it's not swimming upstream. It's literally standing against an avalanche. And in Ephesians, it says we do all to stand. 
And I think that's the condition of our culture right now. The world has, for the most part, embraced relativism. So I want to talk about what relativism is. It's, it's, it's either a or the prominent philosophy or ideology of the, uh, in our day and significantly influences uh, pretty much everything around us. Our educational system, articles you read in the newspaper, things you see online. Most of the people that are, uh, in, even many Christians are relativists, uh, and they don't even know it. So I just want to identify what relativism is, and then we're going to talk about how to respond to it. But I'm really going to get more in-depth over the next two weeks. Today is more of just an introduction. Okay, there's several points of relativism. <clears throat> One, points of view have no absolute truth or validity. Or validity having only relative subjective value according to differences in perception and consideration. Um, so, again, some of these are big words, and uh, we're talking about ideas, uh, and so it's kind of like you have to stay with me, if you will. Um, relativism is an ideology or a philosophy that says a point of view, someone's opinion or point of view, has no absolute truth or validity. Uh, it has only relative or subjective value according to the difference in the person's individual perception and consideration. Truth is always relative to some particular frame of reference, such as language or culture. And so what is right for one person is not necessarily right or wrong for another person. Because right and wrong, that would be moral relativity is dependent on your perspective and your language. Or what is true for one person is not necessarily true for another person. That's truth relativism. There's actually a difference. What is true is relative or what is right is relative. Different types of relativism. So it's no absolutes. That's the first main point. Relativism is sometimes interpreted as saying that all points are equally valid, which is in contrast to absolutism which argues that there's only one truth. Okay? And so this idea that since there are no absolutes, but many different truths or many different rights or wrongs, and the second point you have to agree is that then each point of view is equally valid. All right? Because each individual is equally valid, then their, all their opinions must be equally valid, uh, as opposed to believing that there's one truth. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, relativism is rather recent development in, in uh, an ideology because for much of history, the belief that there, it, there are objective truths that we can discover through learning and through experience is what has driven science and driven study. And exploration is that we can find out how the universe is made and find out how everything works. But what's happened in the last uh, 100 to 200 years, several hundred years, is that certain thinkers have gotten to the point where they don't think that it's, it's possible. And so this is an alternate way to come up with an answer to, well, if, if truth isn't possible, how can we deal with this idea of truth or idea of right and wrong? So the next thing that relativism asserts, this gets a little complicated. If you can't follow it, just bear with me. <laughs> asserts that a particular instance, let's call it Y, exists, like in a 
like in a mathematical equation, y, <clears throat> exists. Now, this is interesting. They actually claim that it exists only in combination or as a byproduct of a particular framework or viewpoint, which would be x. So y exists only in relationship to x. I understand truth. I actually have a word called truth. I have a definition associated with that word only because, and that only exists because I was born in America. I uh, learned English. I grew up in the Judaic Christian worldview. And so that word exists. And that, that, that has no, that exists only because those two points are in reference. All right? And that no, uh, viewpoint or framework is uniquely privileged over any other. And so that's the way I believe. Somebody else believes something. They may not even have a word for truth. All right? And so that's equal. And there's no one that's, no one is privileged over any other because they're all equally valid. And this is what the world says. Relativism, next point, is not skepticism. Skepticism is a different but similar related uh, belief system that doubts the existence of absolute notions. They both doubt the existence of absolute notions of truth. However, skeptics go on to doubt all notions of truth, saying there is no truth. Relativists want to replace absolute truth with a, with a positive theory uh, of relative truth. And so for the relative, those who believe in relativism and relativists, there is no more to truth than a personal or cultural belief. So for them, there's a lot of truth in the world. And so if you're talking to a relativist and you say, well, do you believe in truth? They'll say, yes, I believe in truth. What is true? Well, it's, it's all based on your belief system. You know, and that, that, a skeptic will say there's no truth, but a relative says there's lots of truth. There's many things that are true. Or there's lots of rights and wrongs, sets of rights and wrongs. Because rights and wrongs are dependent on cultural uh, frameworks. G.K. Chesterton, if you've never heard of him, you should do some reading. But he was a great uh, Christian scholar and wrote about this uh, kind of stuff about 100 years ago. And he's quoted as saying, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. And he said this when it was still being debated in the academic levels. Uh, popular culture in his day had not embraced it. Popular culture in our day has fully embraced relativism. And it's not that people believe in nothing. The problem is that they'll believe in anything. And they do believe in anything. And in fact, they argue that that's the right way, <laughs> which is interesting. All right, so we're going to go through five uh, basic arguments or responses uh, to relativism Some from um, someone who doesn't believe in... I am not a relativist, although I, I do... Um, you know, I, I want to I wanna be careful. I want to explain what I do believe over the next two weeks and get more in depth because, uh, you know, a strict um, absolutist viewpoint also can be an error. But we're going to go over five points that are just classic uh, rebuttals of relativism. One is that re relativism is inherently contradicts itself or refutes itself. Contradiction. Relativism inherently contradicts or refutes itself. 
The statement, it's all relative. Okay. Everything is relative. Either that's a relative statement, which means that an absolute then can exist, or they're saying everything's relative. And then you say, well, do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that absolutely? Yes. So it's absolutely true that everything is relative? Yes. You've just contradicted yourself. How can it be absolutely true that there are no absolutes? You know? And you'd think that would be really simple for someone to get. But our whole world, you know, are, are, they're, they're, they're just, they've totally embraced the idea that every, right and wrong is relative. Truth is relative. And then you say, well, is that, do you believe that absolutely? And they'll, they'll say yes. Well, that's an absolute. So your notion of truth, which is relativism, is absolute. So that in and itself, it contradicts itself. Second thing is natural law. And this simply put is that the physical universe, the things that we can see and touch and hear, observable nature, works under basic principles, the laws of nature, which demonstrate that absolutes exist. If you get a hundred people, and some of them are atheists, some of them are relativists, some of them are absolutists, some of them are nihilists, some of them are Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, you line them all up on the top of a 50-story building and you have them walk off the building, every one of them is going to fall and hit the ground and die. That's pretty absolute. Okay. And there's many things that we can appeal to in the whole of, you know, for those who believe, the created universe or in all of the creation or all of the universe, we see these absolutes. And if absolutes exist in the physical world, then they must exist in the world of ideas, in the world of morals. Because okay? they're connected, they're not distinct. The third thing is that relativism leads to the corruption. Um, relativism undermines morality and it results in a breakdown of social bonds between individuals and their community ties. It leads to fragmentation of social identity and a rejection of values, self-regulatory values. And I talked about fragmentation on an individual basis a few weeks ago, but when you get all broken up, now think of it in a community, if no one agrees with what's right or wrong, or if everybody is allowed to do whatever they think is right, let's, let's just give that some time. You know what happens? If you'd like to find out, go to Somalia and walk down the street and see how long you last. All right? Go to the jungles in the Congo and see how some people feel it's right to chop off the arms and legs of the children of the other village. Because they're at war with them. That's what you do in war. And so there are tens of thousands of children with no arms and legs. All right? Is that right? A relativist. So a society without a framework of right and wrong leads to chaos. All right? And, and complete breakdown. Um <clears throat> Uh, Now, most relativists believe it's immoral to harm other people, but the idea of relativism 
says that that's only a relative belief and someone else can have the idea and it's valid that for whatever reason it's okay to harm people. If, as an idea, as a as an ideology, you have to accept that. A relativist would have to accept that. All right, negation is the fourth thing. I'm sorry if some of this is confusing, but I'm hoping to give you a framework so that you understand that your culture that you're living in. Negation is that if everyone with differing opinions is right, then no one is. <laughs> all right. If you say all belief systems are valid. It's the same thing as saying no belief system is valid. Right? Because everybody can't be right. Right. If, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that leads to the, the, the last one, which actually sounds absurd, but it, because it is, is that if, if, if right is determined by what I believe, then I can't be wrong. And it's really easy. If someone... Understand, have you ever been wrong? Yeah. But how can you be wrong if what you believe to be right is what defines right? Oh. And it's, it's really an absurd idea that relativism taken to its conclusion means that, well, it can be impossible. And it separates the distinction between what someone believes and what is true. All right? there, there is truth, and truth is separate. You can believe something and be wrong. All of us have believed something. And I really believed that, you know, my wife ate the last piece of cake. And I was upset about it until I realized I had. <laughs> now, it's easy on something like that, but it was bigger issues. I really believed something. You find out, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't accurate. All right. <clears throat> now, respect and tolerance is different than relativism. Respect and tolerance. Uh, there's a book by Josh McDowell called The New Tolerance. And I have a link to it on my, my blog and everything. You can get to it through the website. But The New Tolerance by Josh McDowell or, or Google it, go to a bookstore. And this idea in this last generation is that the word tolerance no longer means that you treat someone with respect with whom you disagree. That's not what it means anymore. Now they say tolerance means you have to accept what they believe as being equally true as what you believe. And anything less than that is, is wrong, is considered arrogant, is intolerant. And so if you don't believe what they believe is equally valid as what you believe, you're intolerant. And you're like, I'm tolerant. I just disagree. Oh, you can't disagree. Their, their opinion is just as valid as yours. And that rejects the idea. That is relativism implemented. And it's already been implemented in our school system, in our workplace. Uh, they have training, corporate training, uh, school training. It's in our culture. It's in the magazines you read. It's, it's, it's already accepted. Uh, the, re the problem with that is that that viewpoint, not only is it wrong, but it's not even helpful. All right? Because <clears throat> saying that everybody's opinion is equally valid actually is a way of demeaning other people. All right? It doesn't lead to a healthy debate that furthers our understanding. And hopefully, if you, if you acknowledge that there is a truth we're all seeking after, rather than everybody's idea of truth is true, all right? 
You can agree, you can tolerate someone with a difference of opinion and respect them as a person because you're engaged in a, in a mutual attempt to understand reality. And so you can enter into a discussion valuing them and they should value you. And you can have an exchange of ideas. But this new tolerance <clears throat> and the way the tolerance has been corrupted uh, actually is an arrogant reaction to arrogance. All right? I say it that way on purpose. The reason they've reacted that way or they, the, the leaders that have kind of uh, the culture that has reacted this way is because the Western worldview and the Christian worldview was held so arrogantly for so long. And that there wasn't, uh, there, and out of a reaction to that, they said, well, all points of view are equally valid. Are you, are you hearing me? So we, we don't, we're actually at fault if we're arrogant. <laughs> right? We need to value a person that we disagree with and hear their points of view and show them that we value and then share with them what we think in a, in a, in a, in a, atmosphere of trying to attain understanding and that's what opens up dialogue and conversation and helps you get to the next level all right um real tolerance is to be is to respectfully treat those you disagree with valuing them as individuals and uh, demonstrating and being motivated by love and frankly a lot of people who believe in absolute truth failed in that area for many years and uh People have complaints, have just complaints. First Peter tells us about this. First Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind. Now, he again is talking to the church. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. This is how we should behave. But on the contrary, blessing. In other words, when someone does something evil to you or reviles you, you return to them blessing. You bless them. You find a way to bless the person that disagrees with you. Uh, knowing that you were all, this is what you were called to, that you may inherit a blessing. That when you do it, when you behave this way, you'll inherit a blessing. And we'll skip down a few verses to verse 13. This is how we interact with those who disagree with us. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. The Bible says, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? A defense uh, for the reason for the hope that is in you. You need to be able to explain to people why you believe in a particular way. You know, when they ask. Beat him over the head with it. And he tells us how. With meekness, not with arrogance. And with fear. With respect. All right? Having a good conscience. This is where you have to have behavior that's in line with your belief system. Or else you won't have a good conscience. You can't have an answer to someone who says that... Uh, uh, you know, homosexuality and, and uh, sexual relationships outside marriage is fine. If you're practicing those things, you, you won't have a good conscience. Right? This is where it ties together. 
And when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, how are you going to win the argument? You can win it by good behavior. I was actually talking to a philosophy professor just on Friday and, and he, about this issue. He said, you know, the younger people are not going to be convinced by an argument. You cannot argue this because there's always an out to the argument. What it takes is relating to them uh, as an individual and leading them in relationship. And it's our lifestyle that will convince people that we have something to offer. And so that's why these things are so connected. What are you, where are you looking was one of the taglines in the video. And it's very, very important. We're going to focus in on this over the next two weeks more so. But the source of your ideas and information. How many have ideas? Those ideas come from somewhere. Input that you've received through your eyes and your ears, reading, listening, television, upbringing, all of this stuff goes in. And your ideas are not isolated. They're connected. What is the source of your ideas, your information, and even your feelings? And this is at the heart of the question of how to live right and how to respond right. Uh, what we look to defines us. It's impossible to stay unaffected by the stuff that we allow to enter our mind and our life. Okay? So when you watch movies or watch TV shows or read books, you have to understand that they're communicating ideas, not just entertainment. Right? This is one reason I very rarely go to movies. Not because I think movies are evil or wrong, but because they mess with my brain. You know, they're powerful. It's the most powerful form of art ever created. And they spend millions of dollars. You can sit in there and have all these ideas and emotions and sounds, you know, and it's just like you're immersed into this imaginary world. And that is filled with ideas. And then you walk out and you have to go, Every time I go to a movie, usually the only movies I go to are action-adventure because I, I want it to be fantasy, okay? I want to I easily distinguish that this is not real. So there's, there's usually a lot of guns and robots and stuff, <laughs> spaceships. <laughs> Always drive home faster. I'm, like, I'm, in, a, I'm in a spaceship. <laughs> you know, but just being aware of that. But most, most individuals, you, you lay down the, under, the awareness that, hey, it's not just entertainment. They're communicating a value system. And you, you'll long forget the movie, but respond to the value system that was reinforced by that movie. Especially when it's reinforced in a hundred different ways in your life. The Bible says to look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, We also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Here again, our behavior and our belief system are intertwined. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Author, the word there means initiator, creator. Your faith, your belief system, anything, any interaction you have with God 
He started it. He planted the seed. He authored it. It was his, you know, if I wrote a book and I was the author, I'm the, I came up with the idea. Right? Jesus came up with the idea of your faith. And He's the finisher. He's the completer. He's the one that will bring it to maturity. That's what complete means. Fully matured. And so the Bible tells us, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Him. Because he it's His idea. He initiated it. And only He can bring it to completion. And every other influence, we have to see through the lens of how does how is it in a relationship to Jesus Christ? How is Jesus revealed here? And, and that we see, we keep our eyes, spiritual eyes, moral eyes, intellectual eyes, focused on the person of Jesus Christ because He's the one that initiated this and He's the only one that can bring it to conclusion. Well, today I kind of just introduced some ideas about relativism and some basic responses. But the next two weeks, I want to get more into a biblical response and also deal with some of the scriptures that promote what seems to be relativism. You know, uh, and, and I'm going to deal with like Romans 14 and some of the other verses that relativists turn to that say even the Bible says it depends on you know, what, what you're convinced. But right now, Aaron has some announcements.